Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And, uh, Michael, still having their discussion in the coffee shop. We were introduced to these two characters last week, David and Michael. And this idea of the exclusive. And this morning, the exclusive continues. David's a blogger. He writes for a website that's dedicated to the unexplained. He had said, well, it's about the the strange, the paranormal, the supernatural, things that people question. So now his uh, editor has given him assignment. Write an article, write an article, and pitch it as if you had an exclusive with God, and you could ask him five questions. Well, this guy's got to come up with the five questions. He's wrestling with this assignment. What are the questions? And if he gets the questions, well, then he's got to figure out the answers. He's got to write uh, the answers. Well, he's bumped into this uh, Michael at the cafe. They've never met before, but they've discovered they have a common bond, and that's David O'Malley's father. Michael was a good friend of his father, uh, this man who was a devoted Christian, and now Michael has helped David arrive at his first question. That was last week. Why would God come to the earth? Why would the creator of all come to earth as a man? Why did he send Jesus? So we heard the answer in a nutshell. He sent Jesus for sin. He sent Jesus to take care of the sin problem and to open up heaven. And now they've moved on to discussing the second question. Now, last week, we speculated a little bit about David. We speculated about his faith. We heard that his father had died, so we thought, the guy has got to be in some kind of a pain. He's been uh, challenged in his faith when his father died as a teen. And today, we hear it has been confirmed. His father was in St. John's, and David prayed and prayed and prayed, and things did not go his way, did they? So he turned from God. He abandoned his faith. He rejected God. He rejected Jesus Christ. And that leads to the question then that, you see, again, Michael's gently leading him, and he takes him to this place about rejecting Jesus. And why was Jesus rejected when he was here on earth? Why did those who first meet him reject him? Jesus did so much when he walked this earth, didn't he? Miracles. He was a great teacher. He taught with insight and he taught with authority. He taught like none other. And yet his very own people, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. The leaders of the Jewish faith, they rejected him. Why? Have you been reading along? Have you been reading along 
in our uh, weekly readings. If you're visiting with us today, we've been reading the Bible as a church since January 1. You can see the plan right on the back of your bulletin. It gives this week's reading. And if you want to catch up, you can just look at the website there. Find the entire plan. Catch up with us. It wouldn't take you that long. We've been reading this month in the New Testament in the Gospel of John. And that's where we found our answer. That's where the answer was discovered last week in John chapter 1. Why was he sent? John chapter 1 gives us much about why Jesus was sent to the earth. And as we read more through that gospel, we're going to discover answers to question number two, to David's second question. Why was Jesus rejected? John chapter five speaks to it, as do other places in scripture, but John chapter five is a good place to find some answers. Leading up to this portion of scripture, Jesus has been, he's been in the north of Israel. He's been in Galilee. It's 60 or 70 miles to the north of Jerusalem. In John chapter five, we read, he's coming back to Jerusalem. This is the center of the Jewish religious activity. Let's read John chapter five, the first 18 verses. I know many of you have already read it, so it's a good review. And let's review it then together. John 5, 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there he and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him 
because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. So here we have in this passage another, another great miracle of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, he's already uh, turned water into wine. He has already healed others. Now he heals this sick man who's been uh, infirmed. And it's evident that this man has had some trouble with his, uh, with his walking for almost 40 years. He's had a mobility problem. He hasn't been able to move uh, very quickly at all. Perhaps he couldn't even walk. And here he is at this pool, this pool called the Pool of Bethesda. And when the waters are stirred, a healing occurs. But this poor man's condition is such that he can't make it to the water. He's too slow. He can't move that fast. And what does Jesus do for him? Jesus heals the man. When he asks the man, hey, do you want to get well? What's the guy's reply? He starts talking about the pool. Doesn't even seem whether he seems as if he doesn't even know who Jesus is because he doesn't address Jesus. He just says, I've got nobody to put me in the pool. The water gets stirred. I got a tough time making it. And Jesus says to him, just get up and walk and take your mat and go. So he healed the man. Now, imagine this. Imagine this is you. You've been infirmed not a few days, not a few years, nearly 40 years. And then someone comes along instantly, miraculously. You're not, even, you're not even addressing him necessarily as one who can heal you. And he says, take up your bed and go. I want to ask you a question. You can argue with that. You can have a problem with that. He says, get up, pick up your mat, pick up your bed, and walk. Going to be a discussion? Oh, no, no, not, sorry, not today. Are you going to care what day it is? Oh, 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 no, sorry. Thank you for healing me. I can't pick up my bed. Don't you know, today's the, t- today's the day off. Can't work today. Can't do anything today. You've been on a Sabbath for 38 years. Are you going to complain about it? Or are you going to do what the man with authority who's just healed you says to do? Now, for me, I don't care. I don't care Monday, Tuesday, Saturday. I don't care what day it is. Yes, sir, I'm picking up my bed and I'm walking. Now, this poor guy, what happens to him? He gets stopped by the Sabbath police. Hold on, what are you doing? You are carrying something on the Sabbath day. That's a no-no. We're stopping you. Can you imagine the response of this guy? Seriously? Can can you imagine him being incredulous? I have not walked in 38 years. Can you give me a little, cut me a little slack here? The one who made me well said to me, pick up your bed and walk. So I did. Now, turn the roles around. You're the interrogator. 
You hear that here's, here's a man who has been healed. He couldn't walk. I would want this guy's story. You were healed? You've been healed? Were you waiting over there by the pool? How long were you waiting? Over 35 years? Now, I think I'd want to maybe get more of the story. I, th- I think I'd want to talk to this man. I'd want to congratulate him. But there's no congratulation from this gr- group that's coming to accuse him of carrying a mat on the Sabbath day, is there? No, there's no compassion toward a man who's just been granted a brand new lease on life. No, the Sabbath police, they want to know who is the villain who did this? Who's the one who healed you? Who's the one who told you to break the law? Who's the one who told you to pick up your bed and walk and work on the Sabbath day? Well, he can't answer them. And at at that moment, there was a multitude, it said, around the pool where Jesus was. Jesus has made his way out. A man cannot answer. But they are reacquainted again at the temple. And Jesus talks to the man. So the man informs these Jewish authorities. It was him. It was that Jesus. He healed me. And so for his act of compassion, for his miraculous good deed, how is Jesus received? He's confronted by those who spoke with the man. And he gets rewarded for his kind deed by being accused of being a a, a Sabbath breaker. They wanted to kill him. They weren't just provoked to to, uh, somehow censuring him. They were provoked to want to kill him. So that's his reward. And John, the writer of the gospel, is now letting us know some of the reasons why Jesus was rejected. And he cites two reasons. First, he broke the Sabbath. You're you're a lawbreaker. Jesus said, my father was working until now, and so have I. Now that adds another. That adds another accusation. That adds another problem. Jesus, in explaining his working on the Sabbath, hey, my father's working till now, so am I. There's another problem. Jesus has equated himself with God. Now they have two reasons for rejecting him. Breaking the Sabbath, lawbreaker, being equal with God, blasphemy. So on the first point, let's let's talk about these points. See if they, they have any parallel with us today. The first point, breaking uh, the Sabbath. These watchdogs, these Sabbath police that were after uh, Jesus, they couldn't deny that he had performed a great miracle. Nope. They couldn't deny that he had performed a great deed. They couldn't deny that he was merciful towards this infirm man. They couldn't deny the actual healing took place because there was the man walking and carrying his mat. But it was, it was the breaking, it was the breach of their law. And it wasn't the law that God had given. It was the law that 
they blindly misunderstood. It was the law that they had inflated and bloated with their meaningless minutia. To the, to the extent that if a button falls off your coat, you can't pick it up because that's work. There was something about the way that Jesus observed the Sabbath that, oh, it got them so angry. It was a, a great offense, provoked them to kill. And what was it that Jesus said on the, in the Sermon on the Mount? Was he a lawbreaker? Was he somehow going against the law that God had given Moses? Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was fulfilling the law perfectly. It can't be claimed at all that he was less than careful when it came to observing the Sabbath. It can't be a claim that he was less reverent than these others in the way that he observed the Sabbath. The, the difference, the difficulty was a, a bit more radical. It had to do with the very essence. It had to do with the very spirit of the law, which Jesus practiced perfectly. They were nitpickers of the law, nitpickers of a law that they had made, nitpickers of a law that they had transformed into an, uh, it was an intolerable burden. Nobody could carry it the way that it had been added to. The real spirit of the law, the real intention of the law, it had totally vanished. It had become purely mechanical to these Jewish leaders who were watching you know, every move of a person on a day like the Sabbath day. Oh, you just, you just broke it. That's how you pick up your button. So they had added all these frivolous details. It wasn't Jesus breaking the law. It was them. They were not observing the law the way that it was intended to be kept. It was intended to be kept uh, as a day of holiness, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, God said, I give you this day. It was a gift. He said, remember it. Keep it holy. It's a day to acknowledge God. It's a day to trust, to, to say, yes, I trust you, Lord. It's a day to acknowledge his sovereignty, his authority, and, and his holiness, the holiness of God. But they were rejecting that. The leaders of this Jewish faith, those who came and uh, accused Jesus, those who came against him, they had rejected God. They were the ones that were rejecting God, engrossed in a system of senseless, meaningless regulation. And we can parallel that forward to today. There is senseless, senseless regulation, if you will, in the religion of the world, the religion of secularism, the religion of our culture. It's a cultural uh, religion. And what does it say? It says people don't sin. No, people don't sin. People bristle when they hear words like Jesus said to that, and that, that healed man. Sin no more. Oh, please, don't call me a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. Don't judge me. Don't talk to me like that. 
That's what the religion of the culture says today. We're not sinners. Don't bulk us in with that. It's the sin of society. It's the sin of groups. It's the, it's the sin of groups that go against society's rules and regulations. All, you know, groups of discriminators, you know, gender discriminators or those who are uh, people of inequality. They're uh, judgmental. Uh, intolerant, oh, you're an intolerant group over there. You're full of bigotry, sexism, uh, and all kinds of things. And how does society counter these sins? How, how, what do they say? We need social justice. We need social justice. We need to come against these intolerant people. And what's their standard? What is the, the standard of the world? The standard of the world is n- no standard. Their definition of discrimination, inequality, judgment, intolerance, it's ever moving, it's ever morphing. It's not something that is uh, an absolute. It's a relative. It's a construct of society that ebbs and flows and it's full of useless and meaningless minutia that is as much senseless today as it was the senseless rules back in the days of the Pharisees. The standard is not God's standard. It's a man-made standard. It's not God's word. It's not God. That's not the standard of the world at all. The standard of the world is rejected or the standard that's true is rejected by the world because the standard is Jesus Christ and his word. And the standard is not even close. The standard of the world isn't Jesus. The standard isn't his word. He is rejected. Why? The sins of society are the problem. It's not the sin of the individual. It's not an individual that needs redemption. No, it's society that needs redemption. Personal redemption isn't necessary to the world. I'm good enough. I'm good. Don't call me a a sinner. Don't accuse me. I don't sin. I don't need Jesus. But we need him. But we need him individually. We need him individually to take care of the sin problem. That's what we talked about uh, last week. That was the answer to the first question, that Jesus came precisely for that reason, to take care of uh, the sin problem. No, but I'm good enough. And he's not God anyway. Don't need him. He's not God. This is the same two, uh, same two reasons he was rejected in the New Testament, in the first century. He's not God. That was the second complaint. He made himself equal with God. That was their, that was their issue. But didn't they expect God to come? We read that in the New Testament that the Jews were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting God to show up. Last Sunday, we read from John chapter 1, and it talks about that, this expectation, as do all the Gospels. The Old Testament points to this idea of a Messiah. The Jews studied it. They expected a coming. And in uh, John chapter 1, we read about a man named John the Baptist. Uh, John, 
was challenged. John the Baptist was challenged by the Jewish ruling class. You read in John chapter one, the priests and the Pharisees came to him and they said, who are you? Who are you? Tell us who you are. He said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. They pressed him. He said, no, no, I am not. They said, well, who are you? I give you the one verse of review, John 1, 23. Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John the Baptist quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And where does he get that quote? It's Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, and I know we haven't read it together yet, but I encourage you to look at that chapter this week and read it over. Isaiah chapter 40 begins with comfort. It says comfort is coming. Comfort is coming. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter that points straight to Jesus Christ. Comfort's coming. Then it says, make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist, right there. Make straight the way of the Lord, a highway for our God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And then Isaiah wrote this, behold your God. So God's coming. I mean, this is, this is a direct prophecy that says, comfort's coming. Make straight the way, a highway for your Lord. Behold your God. John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. The Pharisees and the priests knew what he was quoting. They knew the Old Testament. They weren't uh, caught flat-footed. Oh, what's he talking about? No, they knew it. They knew what Isaiah had written. And Isaiah had written, behold your God. Would they do that? No, they wouldn't. They would not. Jesus came doing miracles. Jesus came as the obvious fulfillment to the Old Testament prophets. He came as the one spoke about by Moses and the prophets. They rejected him outright. They were against him. They would not behold him as God. They refused. And then Jesus responded. Jesus responded. In John chapter 5, those first 18 verses are about They're about the man that was healed. And then it just switches to Jesus. He's confronted by these Jews and he gives a response. And from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, 47, verse 47, 19 to 47, it's all Jesus. It's all his response. How did he respond? How did he respond to these who came against him when he said, when they said, oh, he equates himself with God? Jesus said, all should honor the son as they honor the father. He continued to equate himself with God. And he added to this, he added, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father. He doubled down on it. He reiterated it. He couldn't have said it more clearly. I have equated myself with God, yes. And as a matter of fact, let me say it a couple more times. And then he's rejected He's rejected. That's no different today. What do people say about Jesus? Yeah, he's a great teacher. Jesus was a great teacher. Oh, he was a moralist. Yes, a great moral teacher. He was a philosopher. Oh, yeah, great philosopher. Oh, he was uh, 
Well, he was an ethicist. Yes, yeah, he could talk ethics, philosophy, morality. He was not God. You know, you get to that, and then people start to back up. They're not going to be with you if you start saying Jesus was God. Yeah, they'll tell you great teacher and all that. He said things like, you know, judge not, and they'll they'll uh, cherry pick all the lovely things that they like that Jesus said and make them great, but none else. And please do not equate him with God. No way. That was the position of the Jews who rejected him. And that's the position of the world today. And what does this boil down to? He was rejected because he healed on the Sabbath. He was a lawbreaker in the eyes of uh, the Jews. He was rejected because he equated himself with God. And Jesus is rejected for many, many other reasons. Expectations. What did they expect? What do we expect? Some of those in the first century expected a king who would come powerfully and mightily. They didn't expect some humble guy. They didn't expect a birth in the manger, carpenter, oh, Nazareth, oh, what good comes out of Nazareth? Their expectations were wrong. Why else might Jesus be rejected? Prejudice, oh, seriously? A God from the Jews, that's never, I would never, ever go there. Please don't ask me to do that. He was hated for other reasons. Fear. Fear, people are afraid. They're afraid that, well, they're afraid of the truth. It's hard to swallow this idea that God would come and give his life for us. There, there, is, a, there is a fear. As Jesus continued in his response in John 5, to those who openly rejected him, he said this. He said in John 5, 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then he follows up. Jesus follows up a bit later, verses 37 and 38. He says, and the father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. And that brings it down to the brass tacks. They rejected him for this reason, that reason, the other reason. But what does it boil down to? They just couldn't believe it. They couldn't bring themselves to believe that Jesus was God. And that is the same today. It's the same. It's the words of this David O'Malley who is sitting here struggling with his friend. What were his words? I don't believe. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe. Why didn't he believe? That guy's having trouble. He felt some pain. He prayed for his dying father, who was a Christian and was likely raising himself up. And his prayer wasn't answered. It wasn't answered to his satisfaction. So he gave up on God, turned his back on God. 
walked away from God, lost his faith. Jesus said, if you believe, you pass from death to life. And what's he given up on? He's given up on eternal life. To say, I don't believe in God anymore is to turn your back on eternal life. And Jesus said, you can gain eternal life. Believe in me. But the pain in this natural life, the pain that we feel can be this challenge, this wall, this block, and it can stymie our belief. And I can relate to a guy like David O'Malley. I remember the night, I remember the night when I was 16 years old and my mother walked in the door. It's about 11 o'clock or so. And she said these words, I didn't want to leave. My father was in the hospital. She went upstairs. No sooner had my mother gone upstairs, the phone rang, and I picked up the phone. And there was a woman on the other end, and she said, this is the hospital. You need to come. And I said, well, tell me what's happening. I'm just 16. All she said was, you need to come to the hospital. I didn't know. These are code words. I have learned since then that these are code words When you get the call, I'd never been through this before. The call that says, just come to the hospital, it's not good news. So, got my mother. One of my brothers, I think, was at home, and I believe we stopped and picked up my sister and brother-in-law who were right on the way. The hospital wasn't that far, but when we arrived... Yeah, my dad was already gone. I can understand a guy like O'Malley. What happened? What happened? Uh, We were all praying. Where did you go, God? What happened? I think many of us can relate to this. I, I believe if I ask you, if you relate to a hard day where your prayer was not answered the way that you wanted it answered, you could all raise your hand. We've been there. But it's precisely at those times, if you struggle with it, if you've you've fought with it, if you've wrestled with it, it's precisely at those times that you have to hold on to Jesus and not cast him aside. It's the time to draw closer to him rather than put up that wall and say, I don't believe. You can't give up on Jesus just because you've had a hard day. We can't lose our faith when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want our prayers answered. I mean, when we are destitute and we come to God, he's not going to give us the the riches that we desire. He's going to give us his prosperity. He's going to give us the riches he wants us to have. When we're weak, when we are weak and we come to God, He's not going to give us the strength that we desire. It may be it's not going to be physical strength at all. It may be that he's going to fill us with the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit that we can persevere through pain and that we can endure. It's not always going to go our way. We're not God. 
when we're down, when we're down, and we pray, Lord, lift me, and I need to be here at this place, the Lord will lift us, and he's going to lift us, and he's going to put us in the place that he sees fit. It's not necessarily the destination that we're telling him that we need to be at. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if God keeps you waiting. He will come, and it will be at the perfect time. 38 years, there was a man infirmed. 38 years, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up and took care of his issue. His mercies are never too late. They will never come at the wrong time. They're going to come at the precise time. When we are in need, our only need is to believe. And today, I want you to grasp onto that. I want you to take hold of that. We're going to pray. Today is the second Sunday of our month. And it's our custom here, if you're visiting, that we take time to pray before we leave. We take time to pray for any need that you have, be it physical, be it spiritual, be it whatever. We take time at these altars to pray because we believe in the word of God. And we believe, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus Christ is risen and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he ever lives to make intercession for every single one of us. We believe it. And we believe what the word of God says, that uh, if any among you is sick, to call on the elders and they'll they'll, they'll anoint you with oil and they'll pray the prayer of faith. So I invite our elders and our ministers to these altars to pray for people. And if you have a need, I'm going to invite you to believe today. Believe today. Believe, believe that God, though he might not answer your prayer the way that you think it should go, he's going to answer your prayer. He's not going to take you to the place where you're demanding him to take you, but he's going to take you where you need to be taken. And I invite you, I invite you to believe this morning and there's some others in our congregation that believe and they've asked us to pray. Diane Brandon, who is the mother of Christine Brandon, she's going to uh, see a surgeon on Thursday the 15th about an open heart surgery to replace a leaking mitral valve. We're going to believe. We're going to believe the Lord for Diane Brandon. Violet Brown, who's 95, she has shingles, and that's a lot of pain. Andrea Scholag has been diagnosed with MS, and she's going to be starting treatment next month. And we're going to raise her up. And Linda Lawrence is recovering after a stroke this past Thursday. And we're going to pray for the Lawrence family. And then any and all of you can come to receive prayer today. Let's ask God, not only for these that we've mentioned, but to Work here at these altars through our elders. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that he died and he's resurrected and he sits at your right hand to intercede on our behalf. And on behalf of those that we mentioned, Lord, for Diane Brandon and Violet Brown and for Andrea Scholag and for Linda Lawrence, Lord, and for their needs, God, we pray your intervention and your intercession and that you would do a great work for them, Lord, and give them a testimony of your unfailing love. Lord, thy will be done. We pray. And God, we also pray at these altars right now that these elders and ministers would indeed be, uh, they would be open, open vessels 
of your blessing, God, to be bestowed upon any and all who come and humbly, humbly yield at these altars. God, we ask for your holy presence to be here in this time. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen. And I just invite you all, any who need to come, to come. And if you don't need to, just keep an attitude of worship and praise in this sanctuary. And if you're in the back and you can't walk forward, we have some elders in the back, just raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have trouble with moving or walking, and they will be happy to come and lay hands on you and pray with you. just stand and worship him as we go today. Let's, let's invite the presence of God right into not only our sanctuary, but into our hearts. And if you haven't received Jesus, if you don't know him as your Lord, if you don't believe that he can take away your sin, he can. He'll forgive you. You just need to acknowledge him. You just need to say, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry, I need to turn from this sin, the way of the world. And he will be the Lord that you need, eternal life. He can step over from death to life, from death to life this morning. If that's you, I, I just pray you would yield yourself today. Let's sing on our way out. Let's sing. Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Oh, to give his life for us. Oh, we're so indebted. It's a debt we could never repay, and we thank you for it. Thank you for the salvation given to us by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for being here among us today, God. Thank you for sending the presence, the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we are indebted to you. We thank you. We praise you. God, and we ask for your blessing now, your blessing to be upon all who are in this sanctuary this morning, Lord, that you would bless them, that your hand would be upon them as they go, Lord, that you would put people in our paths this week that we can minister to and that we can uh, witness to, Lord, like Michael is doing here with David, Lord, that we would be able to witness to people. God, may your presence go with us. May your presence go with each and every one who is in this room. May, you, may your power and your strength be with each one, Lord, that as they leave here, they are, on, they are in your hand, God, and they are with you, Lord go in front and behind, surround us, love us, Lord, and I pray that you would bring us back again to worship you and to praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen, amen. Bless you this morning as you go.